Chapter 7 of the Expedition of the Donner Party and its Tragic Fate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Alana Jordan. The Expedition of the Donner Party and its Tragic Fate by Eliza P. Donner Houghton. Chapter 7 snowbound scarcity of food at both camps watching for return of mccutcheon and reed when we awoke the following morning little heaps of snow lay here and there upon the floor no threshold could be seen only a snowbank reaching up to the white plain beyond where every sound was muffled and every object was blurred by falling flakes father's face was very grave his morning caress had all its wonted tenderness, but the merry twinkle was gone from his eye, and the gladsome note from his voice. For eight consecutive days the fatal snow fell, with but few short intermissions, eight days in which there was nothing to break the monotony of torturing inactive endurance, except the necessity of gathering wood, keeping the fires, and cutting anew the steps which led upward as the snow increased in depth. Hope well-nigh died within us. All in camp fared alike, and all were on short rations. Three of our men became dispirited, said that they were too weak and hungry to gather wood, and did not care how soon death should put an end to their miseries. The out-of-door duties would have fallen wholly upon my Aunt Betsy's two sons, and on John Baptiste, and on my crippled father, had the woman lost their fortitude. They, however, hid their fears from their children, even from each other, and helped to gather fuel, hunt cattle, and keep camp. Axes were dull, greenwood was hard to cut, and harder to carry, whether through loose, dry snow, or over crusts made slippery by sleet and frost. Cattle tracks were covered over. Some of the poor creatures had perished under bushes where they sought shelter, a few had become bewildered and strayed. Others were found under trees in snow pits, which they themselves had made by walking round and round the trunks to keep from being snowed under. These starvelings were shot to end their sufferings, and also with the hope that their hides and fleshless bones might save the lives of our snow-beleaguered party. Every part of the animals was saved for food. The locations of the carcasses were marked so that they could be brought piece by piece into camp, and even the green hides were spread against the huts to serve in case of need. After the storm broke, John Baptiste was sent with a letter from my mother to the camp near the lake. He was absent a number of days, for upon his arrival there, he found a party of fourteen ready to start the next morning, on foot across the summit. He joined it, but after two days of vain effort, the party returned to camp, and he came back to us with an answer to the letter he had delivered. We then learned that most of those at the lake were better housed than we, some in huts and the rest in three log structures, which came to be known respectively as the Murphy, Graves, and Breen cabins. The last mentioned was the relic of earlier travelers, and had been grizzled by the storms of several winters. Yet, despite their better accommodations, 
Our companions at the lake were harassed by fears like ours. They, too, were short of supplies. The game had left the mountains, and the fish in the lake would not bite. Different parties, both with and without children, had repeatedly endeavored to force their way out of that wilderness of snow, but each in turn had become confused and unconsciously moved in a circle back to camp. Several persons had become snow-blind. Every landmark was lost, even to Stanton, who had twice crossed the range. All now looked to the coming of McCutcheon and Reed for deliverance. We had every reason to expect them soon, for each had left his family with the company and had promised to return with succor. Moreover, Stanton had brought tidings that the timely assistance of himself and comrade had enabled Reed to reach Sutter's Fort in safety, and that McCutcheon would have accompanied him back had he not been detained by illness. Well, indeed, was it that we could not know that at the very time we were so anxiously awaiting their arrival, those two men, after struggling desperately to cross the snows, were finally compelled to abandon the attempt, bury the precious food they had striven to bring us, and return to the settlement. It was also well that we were unaware of their baffling fears, when the vigorous efforts incited by the memorial presented by Reed to Commodore Stockton, the military governor of California, were likewise frustrated by mountain storms. End of chapter 7